This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and coming up is one of America's great holidays for wine, Super Bowl Sunday. Seriously? I wouldn't have guessed that. <laughs> it would be a fire in charge. Uh, <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why. Okay. I'm, I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today we're going to give some tips for pairing good wine with guacamole and with all the other sophisticated and delicate foods you might eat at a Super Bowl party. <laughs> Plus, we have some big moments in American wine history. There's lots of questions from listeners. And as usual, we are making fun of wine stops. Yep. It's what we do. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and because we are nothing if not party guys, we're getting ready for the Super Bowl party today. Yes, and think of all those fatty, greasy, cheesy foods. Mm. Kind of like us. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, you know, by the way, one man's fatty, greasy, cheesy food is another man's dinner, so I'm just saying wine should be a part of it. Yeah, but i, I got to admit, Super Bowl seems to go with beer for me. Yeah, me too, actually, but... This is a wine show. We have to keep that's up right, the pretense. That's right. Wine, all, all wine all the time. All wine all the time. So after you've had your beer at your Super Bowl party and you're thinking, should you have wine? But before we get to that, actually, because you know you know how I am. I'm always bringing in studies and polls. Oh, yeah. Bring I love, in a poll. I, I love my studies and polls. Okay. That they, uh, they signify, what is it? Signify nothing, basically. It's the that's right. Sound and fury and signify nothing. Um, this one is a Harris poll on what Americans drink on holidays. Okay, and, and Super Bowl, I'm sorry, Super Bowl Sunday, which holiday? Is that a religious or a was, political holiday? This is holiday? what I love about this poll, that, <laughs> that it considers Super Bowl Sunday an American holiday. So, you know, we're off of, off of work, out of school. Um, right. That's, uh, right. So it, and so, Lighting the candles no. and dancing around the tree and... So and and Paul, as uh, as you know, journalists or media types of sorts as we are, uh, you know, you know uh, what we do here with uh, news organizations and media organizations is we we tell you things that you already know. Oh please, that's please what polls go right do. Ahead. So um, it turns out that the Harris poll this was uh, this was came out at the end of 2014, the end of last year. Okay. And uh, let me quote one of the newspaper headlines. Yeah. Americans reach for different alcoholic beverages on different occasions. I am shocked. Stunned. It is. Who knew? Who (laughs) knew? Thank you, Harris Paul. Uh, (laughs) Some of their startling conclusions include that on Thanksgiving and Christmas, Americans drink more wine than beer. And it goes wine, beer, spirits in terms of alcoholic beverages. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, Although after age 65, uh, spirits are second than beer. Apparently, they're not messing around. Well, yeah. you know, when you're, they, they, you also, yeah, you got the weight thing. You don't want to drink too much beer. When yeah, they're, they're just going right for the scotch. Okay, good. Um, on New Year's Eve, and this is a shocker. Wait, let me guess. Bubbly. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? But there it is, right. And and then this one, this will stun you even more. Yeah. St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Does the beer have to be green? <laughs> beer. How did, how, how do these people come up with these kinds of numbers? Yeah. Uh, a Super Bowl Sunday Beer is tops. Actually, this is kind of funny. It's beer first, spirits second, flavored malts third. Wow. Actually, I think I know why. That's things like the the 12-ounce vodka drinks and Mike's Heart Lemonade and then comes wine. And you know why? Because it's a party that also has couples. Right. And many of the half of those couples aren't there for the football. 
So right. they're just they're, there for, they're the, for the for the long the long party drink the and the food, and they're just there. And I know people who watch the game just for the commercials. So. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, actually, I've been to especially when the Forty uh, ers aren't playing. Yeah, as usual. Yes. The um, uh, it's like the room says shh shh. There's a commercial. They're talking through the game. <laughs> Everybody comes running in for the commercial. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. All right. Okay. So. The purpose of this show is to convince people that they should drink wine on Super Bowl Sunday instead of the other beverages. Well, we are going to transform America. We're going to transform one of the great holidays in America to be a wine holiday. And as and some actually, people might say, ruin it. But well, no. On the it's... other hand, you got how many teams in the NFL and only one of them is a champion. So the rest yeah. of them are all ready for whining anyway, That's right? That's right. Well, and not only that, uh, you know, because some people like wine. This is an excuse. It's true. It's an excuse. So, it's true. So I there, like wine. There are ways. Good. Um, there are ways. And there are some wines that go better with others. But we're going to go through some of the foods. Okay. We're going to make some suggestions. Okay. And um, although I, I might start with a column that I used to write every year uh, leading up to Super Bowl Sunday. And it was yeah. always coincidental, but also also the timing was good because Zap, which is a Zinvidal ad, advocates and producers, right. sort of big event down in San Francisco. And it was, and I always said, look, if there's a wine that's going to go with all the really junky food you're going to eat, Zinvidal's probably a pretty good choice. You think so? I do. I think it, yeah. I think it, big Zins handle all the big, the salt. The, the, it's, it's, no, see, it, I'm going for bubbly. Well, yeah, but this is a football game, and nobody's no sissies are bringing out the. No, I'm just kidding. I love bubbly. I, 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 I yeah, okay. This is, this is for, uh, we're we're trying to convince we're trying to convince Bongo Bill that you know he is uh, he can put down his beer and well, there's have don't something. forget that one of the one of the themes for for one of the major beer companies in America was the champagne of bottled beer. Why not drink the champagne of champagne and drink bubbly? That's true. It, well, that's it's why, very true. Why go for the bottled beer when you can have bottled real champagne well i will say because we uh i have uh, used this point before i my married a woman who loves sparkling wine yep i also married a woman who hates football and the yep. only time she'll ever go to a super bowl party is if there's sparkling wine there well you know part of this is i i do have to ask the question are we required to watch the six hours of talking heads before and after the game or just the no game that itself? that you go, you're going right for the spirits if that's the case you're doing like tequila shots <laughs> yeah. to keep up with those guys so we are you know nobody is required yeah, and especially especially i think the way you play that game is every time someone uses the word football as oh, in, Lord this help is a you. big football game, and this is a good football team, <laughs> and was... he's a good football coach. Then you have to drink something. How, how about if they use, every time they use the word minerality? <laughs> yeah, we make fun of wine terms, Wait, but you know, I'm sorry, other, that, that is, other that... sports have their own. Yeah, that's an internal joke, by the way. If you if you're kind of new to our show, is that we we make fun of the way people use throw the word minerality all around because it's a it's a catch all meaning nothing, um, including in football. All right, so let's go through a few foods. Okay, all right, guacamole and chips. Yep. Okay. Where would you go? I have a hand. I got a couple ideas. Okay. Oh, besides the besides the sparkling, because you know sparkling wine is the is the absolutely great combo here. But if not that, then I'm going for something. It depends on how spicy the guacamole is, but I'd like something relatively low alcohol. How about something that would be really fun and and international in flavor, and go with a little vino verde from Portugal. Oh, yeah. That's the uh, that's the fresh slightly slightly you're still going slightly for sparkly petillant. Yeah, it has a little bit a little bit of spritz in it. A little bit of minerality. Yeah, a little bit of minerality. <laughs> well, I, there's see, I have a handful of, of thoughts for this, and these wines yep. are going to keep coming up actually because they're probably my three that will go with a lot of things, which is Sauvignon Blanc, Sauvignon Blanc, the, you know, and Chenin Blanc. 
Right, which she, nobody makes anymore. Nobody makes. Well, and that's not true. Actually, my our some of our friends that are in the Clarksburg region. Yeah, that's you can find it in true. one of the great spots on the planet next to Chenin Blanc. But if true. you can find yeah. it, yes. Or if you're looking for Chenin Blanc in Europe, look for Vouvray in France. Right, right. And a wine that was popular for a while and then went away, but it's coming back, which is Gruner Vettliner. And I think it's a terrific wine for a lot Boy, of foods. I want to hear you convince a radio audience they're going to figure out how to order Gruner Veltliner somewhere. Groovy. You call it groovy. Groovy? Yeah. yeah. That's the. That's the uh, yeah, that's they'll the, end up with a malt beverage I if want they the, walk in I want, there and ask I want for the wine that groovy. people call groovy. Yeah. Like All I right. Said. Go for the Sauvignon Blanc then. It's easier. All right. So now we're going to go through some of the wings. Various, the wings. various kinds of wings. The single wing? The, the, the yes, double wing? Well, they, this, this, the single wing is, now you're giving away your age, actually. Come on, man. This is a football <laughs> show, I thought. Just, that's what I'm just saying. <laughs> um, all right. So the regular wings, which is just the fried chicken wings, you know, the, it's, the, or the, it's the seasoned chicken wings, but no sauces. Right. Um, so that one actually pretty versatile. Yes, and I'm going for bubbly because bubbly goes with all this stuff. It does. If I can't do bubbly with that, I want a very crisp white wine, and I'm going to say – going to. I mean, you, you, hard to find these, but Rueda, R-U-E-D-A, white wine from Spain, very crisp and lively, like a Gruner Veltliner, but much easier to spell because it's only five letters long. And easy and much easier to find, actually. There's lots of places that have that. Yeah, the, Rueda. The, the Spanish white, yeah. Yeah, lovely um, stuff. Now, I'm thinking, actually, with regular chicken wings, not spicy, but just right. seasoned chicken wings, I'm thinking, actually, a well-built Merlot or even a County Classico. Yeah. Sort of the, you okay. know. Okay, going red wine early. Yeah, huh? red, well, that's always, actually, it's See? my goal, kind of. <laughs> I'm not to say I don't love white. But okay. but you know, get, get I'm pacing ready, myself. This is a four-hour game, and well, that's you know. And no, then you you, got... He's a sissy. <laughs> I'm in the first quarter. I, I'm bringing out the reds. <laughs> no, no, I'm four quarter, four quarters, but four hours. On the other I'm hand, Paul, I'm counting on you to drive home. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> all right, that's right. How about the sweet chicken wings? Those are tougher, sweeter. So and and all and this will this sort of includes all the slightly honeyed and various sort of sweet um, kinds of treats that people bring to parties. Yeah, because that's what people do to Amer- in America. Food is they cover it with sugar. And yes, then, yeah. yes, it's true. Okay, so I'm going for uh, a very bright, lively cabinet-style Riesling from Germany. A good choice. I would go with the other direction of the Riesling, a slightly sweeter Riesling. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other I might think about, I'm not sure it would work, but sometimes it might, which is a, a sort of a, a rich Chardonnay. Well, you got four hours here. Yeah. So you can have a glass of the Riesling and a glass of the Chardonnay. I'm driving home, so you can just sort of you know, take your time. Have a wing, have a glass of Riesling, have a wing, have a Chardonnay. You, yeah. can, you know, you got, you, you got time to explore yeah. here. Yeah, I don't want to fill up, so maybe have a half a wing. Half a wing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, how about the barbecue wings and really anything that's going to show up with the barbecue sauce? Because there's going to be lots of barbecue sauce at this party. Yes, which is also sweet, right. bear in mind. That's Absolutely. the other part of the sweet. So Riesling still works there. Yep, it does. Um, yep. You could also try something like a very light red wine or rosé. You yeah, could do a yeah. dolcetto from Italy. I would, I would totally do the rosé. Yeah, yeah. I think my friend Zinfandel could do okay there. Uh-huh. The I only do. problem with Zinfandel is that it can be alcoholic, and some of those. Sweet, and your problem there is no. well, a problem is that some You're of that drinking all day. If the no no, it, no if those wings hot. are I agree. spicy, yeah, yeah, yeah. it'll make your mouth feel like somebody lit off napalm in there. Yes, in fact, that's you know for spice that is you don't want to. That's always one of the things you don't want alcohol Low with alcohol. spicy foods. Yeah, 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 yeah. Low alcohol. Yeah, and then the um, 
the buffalo wings, which is where now we're talking house dressing kinds of stuff. I mean, the, right. the uh, ranch dressing sorts of stuff, right. which also shows up. You know, there's, there's giant pools of ranch dressing that you dip your one broccoli floret. Boy, you're making that you this eat. sound so attractive. I love a good Super Bowl is, party. Is this is this in the third or the fourth hour of the pre-show show? No, this is our, we're already in the game now. And okay. you, know, you, you 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 go for that. You go for your block broccoli for floret, or maybe one. You know, somebody brings the tray, right? the, the tray of vegetables, and you feel like you need to have one or two. Actually, I usually hit those pretty hard because it's the only way I'm going to get a balanced diet. Well, at a Super see, Bowl I, party, I just so. I'm just relieving my guilt. So if I get one of each, <laughs> I think I've covered it. Excellent. Yes, excellent. So with that, right? Ranch dressing. Ranch dressing. So I'm going with uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not bad. I kind of think my friend Zinn might be able to deal with it, but yeah. really, but really, um, I'm 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 back to my Chenin Blanc that we can't get. Right. But yeah. if you can if you can find it. Uh, I think Shannon might handle that. All right, moving okay. on to pizza. Okay, who's pizza? playing? By the way, because uh, you know, because you know, I have a whole theory about wine and Super Bowl. Depending on the position you play, that really determines who you're, what, what kind of drink you're having here. I mean, if you if you're like a, a lineman, you're drinking. You're a quarterback. Beer. If if you're Tom Brady. Yeah, he's got to be a wine guy, right? Joe Montana, clearly a wine oh, guy. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, right? It's a vineyard. Um, yeah. Middle linebacker, I'm thinking probably not a wine not guy. Not shots. That's a shots guy. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so, a lineman you know, beer. And yeah. I've actually yeah. poured wine for, at a wine tasting for Ronnie Lott, so I know that, that um, safeties are also wine guys. And so, so the guys, you know, right. the guys that kind of are in control of the game, I think they're the wine guys. Right. And then you got the guys down in the trenches. They may be your beer and your malt liquor guys. Yeah. Well, it, it's entirely possible. All right. Well, let's get through a couple of the other things. So the pizza, pizza, because this is a this is a good question. Pizza's around all the time, and yes. and and I I do think my friend Zinfandel is a very good pairing with, with well, pizza. Well, and the thing about pizza is you got to decide whether it's going to be your traditional America yeah, yeah, Domino's yeah. pizza. Sure, it is. Where it's, it's an a inch and a half party. thick, yeah. and it's covered with cheese and pepperoni and everything else. And I agree. That's that's Super Bowl pizza. Yeah. You don't want any of these little fancy, dancy margarita, vera pizza napoletana, Italian stuff because that's that's for watching the World Cup. That's for watching the World Cup. Right. But for Super Bowl, you need you need two and a half thick inches of of cheese and. And for that, anything that'll cut through the grease. I like Barbera, which mm -hmm. grows very nicely here in the Sierra foothills up in Amador County, for example. Dolcetto, which grows in Italy. Valpolicella in Italy. Really tasty wines with pizza. And one more, because this shows up at many Super Bowl parties. Okay. Chili. Chili. Yeah. Boy, that's a tough one for me. I'll tell you where I'm going. Okay, you're going Zinfandel. I'm no. going beer. <laughs> Yeah, didn't we take beer too, off the table? Too much spice for chili. Yeah, ch yeah, chili is big. It's heavy. It's rich. It can be quite spicy. So it, you want something low alcohol. Yeah, sparkling actually wouldn't be bad. Yeah, yeah. You, you could get by with the Barbera, but I, I'm with you. I think that's a beer. That's a perfect beer yeah. combo. And you've had so much wine at this point anyway. Really, uh, I'd say uh, move on to the beer. All right. That's right. Plus, beer aids in the digestion of beans. Well, there you go. <laughs> I've heard that. So those sounds you are hearing right now are our stomachs oh, and sympathetic indigestion. Oh, yeah. I'm this hungry. is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. <laughs> Next up, we'll take some questions. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and it's time to open our mailbag and take some questions from listeners. If you'd like to ask us a question, go to Rick and Paul Wine, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And by the way, look for us on iTunes. Our podcast is on iTunes, and you, you can subscribe for free. Just an easy quick. Okay, uh, our first question, well, 
It's not bad considering what we were just talking about. Our first question comes from Jan Haig in Sacramento, and she says, what do you do for a wine headache? Oh, man. If the end of your Super Bowl party is that you only have a wine headache and not serious <laughs> digestive issues, you're ahead of the game. Um, and it's a uh, first of all, why why do you have a wine headache? And the answer is because you drank too much wine. I mean, Wait. a lot of, a lot of people Wait. will talk about about the various elements I'm, in wine. That's, that's too complicated for me. You it's do it back. alcohol, right. and the way you avoid the headache initially is you drink more water than wine. So I have a rule at a party: I drink two glasses of water for every glass of wine I drink, and well, that you, really helps. I, I agree with you, and except I change it during the Super Bowl. I have two glasses of guacamole for every. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's, it's now, the Super Bowl. Yeah. Now, uh, once you have the headache, you just take a headache and, and whatever your headache pill of choice is. But the solution to not getting Hydrate. the headache yeah. is moderation. And it means drinking because because wine has alcohol. Alcohol dehydrates the cells in your body and drinking water will hydrate you again. Yeah, and so that's actually the thing, too. You know, if you wake up and you realize that, darn it, that Super Bowl party, I didn't drink enough water, is start drinking right away anyway. Yep. Um, you know, one of my little tricks, and I know this as a as a longtime competitive runner, if it's if you have some in the house to help yourself hydrate more quickly is Gatorade. Yep. Because Gatorade is yep. actually designed the way it is that the, the sugar levels and electrolyte levels and, and getting electrolytes back, too. But your body actually will absorb Gatorade just a little faster. That's a runner's trick, actually. Um, but it's that's yep. really the way to deal with it is the aspirin and the and the lots of fluids and the drink the fluids before yeah and while drink, you're drinking or the, the guacamole you yep. know, you know or the guacamole <laughs> our next question comes from uh, katie madden in fresno katie now joins our legions of regular listeners yeah and, and, and particularly and how in appropriate fresno. that she has a last name that's the name of a famous football that's coach true. and commentator she is not she is not related i'm gonna guess yeah um i, th I think we now have our regular listenership in fresno is now up to two excellent it's we, doubled massive you it is like massive. figures you like surveys yes. it has doubled it has doubled that's right that's a hundred percent improvement. Katie's is, I like Viognier, but the ones I like are crisp. So mm -hmm. why are some crisp and some not? That's a great question. It is. And it's hard to find really crisp Viognier. Yes. Viognier in general is a grape that doesn't have high acidity. And so the way to get a crisp Viognier is to buy it from a place where it is grown in a very, very cool climate. And where it is grown in a warm climate, like the Central Valley of California, it's going to be soft and probably a little flabby, very luscious and rich, but not crisp. And so you want to look, Katie, you want to look for Viognier's that come from very close to the Pacific Ocean in California, Oregon, Washington. Uh, Virginia makes some good Viognier. I want to put in a plug for other states to make good ones. And, of course, the Northern Rhone in France makes a number of Viognier's that are very crisp as well. There are, And there's some high up in the in the Sierra foothills as well. Yep. Um, and depending, and th this is a little more difficult because you're not going to know where their vineyard comes from, and that's always the downside. But right. there are some that come from pretty high altitudes, so it's cool and, and it, it gets off. And, you know, and, and, by the way, I do have to interject something here because I learned something just last this, this last week that was quite fascinating. You were listening to our show. I was not because I learned something. Uh, I um, I found out the leading producer of Viognier in the world. Where do you think that producer is? There's a little trivia question. Uh, for okay, you, okay. This is not going to be what you think. So I'm now thinking about where would I think that it might not be. I would not think that Viognier would be. Should I whistle some music for it's you? It's going da, to be in South Africa. Australia. I was, I was in not the, far I, off. I was in the right hemisphere. You're in the right or, hemisphere and yeah. the right idea because you yeah. would not expect that. Yulumba. 
down in Australia, is the world's largest single producer of Viognier. Make lovely Viognier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's but good to know. Completely so Australian, surprised. So Australian so, Viognier. So there's another one for your list, Katie, is Australian <laughs> Viognier. You yep. know, and, and Paul brings up something that is actually a good reference point. And, and the problem is, of course, we, do, we don't often know where the vineyards are and, um, and, and all of those things. But... If you like crisp whites, generally, if they're coming from areas that you think are pretty cool, they're probably going to be crisper. Right. If they're coming from areas that are a little bit warmer, they're probably going to be less crisp. I mean, that's that's right. that's a guess, but it puts you in the ballpark anyway. Yep. yep. All right. All right. We have another one here. Okay. Patricia Hillman in Mill Valley. I like this one, too. What's the etiquette for tasting room when someone gets loud? What's the etiquette for a tasting room when someone gets loud and obnoxious? In other words, you're in a tasting room and the people right. next to you. I think she knows you. She, I, I, it's entirely possible that uh, Patricia, let me apologize for that time <laughs> <laughs> right off the bat. My bad. Yeah. That, uh, I should know better. Um, so the uh, that's a good one. Um, I think what you do is you reach for the spittoon, the spit bucket, and you smack them with it. <laughs> totally well, all, ends the discussion. All, if if you are, it, it, this is a this is a it's the same problem in a restaurant. What do you do if there's a loud party in a restaurant? And the answer is you as another customer, not your business, not your job. It is. You are perfectly within your rights to turn to the tasting room staff as you are to a restaurant staff and say, is there anything you could do about the noise over on the other side of the room? It's really hard even to hear ourselves talk over here. Uh, but that's all you can do as a customer. Now, as tasting room staff, yeah. that's a, it's the same challenge as in a restaurant. Because, you know, they're customers, too. They're having a wonderful time. They're celebrating his mom's 80th birthday. They're probably going to buy some wine. And mm. they're really good customers, and yet they're driving other people out of the tasting yeah. room. And yeah. I think the answer is to go over there and simply, if you have a private area, if you have a, a, a side room that you can encourage them to move into, that's a good idea. Or sooner or later, you just have to decide that somebody has to say something. And you say, folks, I really appreciate the fact that you're having a good time. But we're having a hard time not always hearing what our other customers are saying to us. Just ask you to keep the voices yeah, down. Yeah, and I, I like your idea of, of asking the taste room staff to take responsibility. Oh, yeah. for oh, yeah. You I think can't be doing a, this a as, a, as another right. customer. Yeah, and, you know, there is a thing. It is, it's the nature of this uh, stuff. Wine can get you a little drunk. I've it, heard that happens. It lowers your inhibitions. Um, and so if you are— And people whose inhibitions are lowered are not the ones that you want to enter into a delicate— game of public etiquette with. Yeah, and you won't be able to. But the other thing is <laughs> this. Particular if they're bigger than you a are. A way to think about taste room, and that's going to happen, but a way to think about it, if you really do like the sort of the quiet, introspective tastings, and many people do, may I suggest going early. You know, we tend to off think... Off-season. Yeah, well, yeah, off-season yeah. and or um, uh, uh, earlier in the day, too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the tasting room at 10 a.m. is a— um, Completely different. It's a completely different experience. And frankly, yep. your palate—now, you may not be ready to go wine tasting at, at 10 a.m., but um, but that's something to think about. And, you know, and this time of year, right now, uh, right. go wine tasting. That's right. Napa Valley, Sonoma. Pick yep. a busy spot, and you'll yep. be surprised. Pick a nice rainy day, and trust me, yeah. it will be as quiet and 
pleasant as you can possibly yeah, imagine. And, you know, and so that's there is that as well. You can find that. But you're going to have to figure it on a Saturday in the summer or, or during during the yeah. season yep. or even during the holidays, you know, it's when people are out and they're, they're partying. And that's going to happen. And so, yep. you know. And there's also, you know, there is also the element that different taste rooms have a different affect to them. And it's very much like cruise lines. You know, Carnival Cruises has a reputation for being kind of a party cruise. And some other cruises are more elegant. Um, the same thing. There are some tasting rooms that have more of a reputation for letting things get a little fun and crazy and others that don't. And you need to sort of make your decisions based on some of that, too. Yeah. You know, there are a handful of pl- in places like Napa where they get large crowds. Sonoma is another one. I know the foothills, the, the, more of them are actually open late. But some of the, the tasting rooms that are open till six. Yeah. You know, the thing, too, is that by that time, people are they're not they're not wine tasting. They're just wine drinking. Well, and, and, and to that point, if you complain to the staff about the noise and their response is, lady, you need to lighten up a little. Now you know very well you're in the wrong tasting room. Yes, yes. And at that point, say, then just pour me some more wine. All right. That is it for questions. We'll have more in the second half of our show. If you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com. Coming up, uh, some bad wine writing from people who should know better. Excellent. Stay with us. Listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Ah, yes, that calm, restrained, early morning tasting room music. <laughs> that means it is time for the feature we call some really, we call really horrible wine writing because there is way too much out there and we bring it to you. Yes, it's true. Well, I'm going to start today with a term that I think we should just all agree let's just take it off the table handcrafted wines. But I love handcrafted wines. Yes, but Rick, have you ever had a machine-crafted wine? I, I have no idea what a, what a handcrafted wine is. But exactly every my Every winery makes them. Yes, they do. And nobody ever makes machine-crafted wine, so we can just take that word off the table and just stick with, okay, it's wine. Somebody made this wine. Now let's talk about something that matters. You know, I uh, uh, occasionally do some work with wineries and wine regions and ha- have made that point to them about websites and yes. wine descriptions. and. Yep. They fight you tooth and nail. Because you know what? Everybody who reads that term says, ooh, I like handcrafted wines. I want my wines to be handcrafted. I don't want that other kind. But nobody makes the other kind, so you're safe. <laughs> yes. You're safe. Well, I, I, if I find paw crafted, it means, it means the dog's making it. <laughs> That's right. I am very – I'm going. I'm going to try. You know, cause I, I want to know what the dog's doing. This wine has been crafted with someone with opposable thumbs. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> there you, go. you never see that on a bottle. Okay. Um, so the, here's I got I got as uh, a, a critic's description description and Good. and there's it's it, the, it gets better but offers a racy aroma but <laughs> this is great offers a racy aroma but tames quickly no need for a whipping chair well that's good news <laughs> it's dill tinged Ed climbs the stair and enters the hallway of dark berry mocha raspberry and subtle earth gaining persistence on the finish best from 2014 to 2037. Really, they said 2037. All right, I love I love this person's strained wow. strained metaphors. Climbs Did, the stairs and enters the hallway of Dark Bear. Plus, they are they are. This was a 2010. Uh, I, can you guess which wine, what kind of a wine it is? Because okay. there's really no help here. And okay, you, Dark Berry, Mocha, Raspberry, Subtle Earth, Game, uh, Syrah. No, it's Barola. Barola. Because okay. as well, the age, the yeah, age, age yeah. should have given that uh, away. But too, yeah. how does somebody go out? 
27 years. Why not 25 years? But how do you how do you decide well, a wine is going to be good for 27 good. years? Best. Be- yeah, yeah, that's right. Best that's right. between 2014 be- and right. 2030. That's, kind of, that's a large, a safe bet. kind of a safe Kind of a big— Because um, somewhere in yes, there it's bound yes, to be best. Yes. And yeah, the rest yeah. of the time, oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah. That yeah, is, I got to admit, um, that person should be writing Hollywood movies because you want to know what I, I, I happens next, Hallmark don't cars. you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. After the climb I mean, the stairs, you got the, whip, the hallway, the chair, yeah. and they're climbing the stairs and entering the hallway. You kind of want to know, okay? Yes. And did she or didn't she? I, I am seeing scenes from the Princess Bride. Oh, I was seeing things of Fifty Shades of Grey yeah, here, but you, go. you got the whip oh, from the chair. Yeah. Come well, on that's now. A, that's how you think. I'm thinking adventure movie. I didn't. Uh, shit, they put whip and chair, <laughs> not me. Okay. Yeah, that's right. All right. You're listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. <laughs> and I'll bet you're sorry about that. Yes. <laughs> yes. If uh, you hang in there for just a second, uh, we're going to have some history for you. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Ah, yes. If you've already climbed the stairs and entered the hallway of history, you are in the right place because we are here for another historic history moment. Paul, what do you got? Well, you know, we've been talking over the last few weeks about market surveys and what people do and what they drink, and we've been making fun of them and all. And we know, for example, that for the last 10 or 15 or 20 years, the most popular wine in America has been Chardonnay and the most popular red wines, Cabernet, and that hasn't changed and all. So I was just doing a little research, and I came up with, what do you suppose the most popular wine in America was in 1950? Something in a jug? Uh, Good guess, but not, in fact, correct, because it was cream sherry. Really? Now, there, I think think you could ask that of a million Americans today and say, what wine from the 50s do you think should be resurrected that more people should drink? And I don't think you'd get any of them. You would not get a whole lot of cream sherry, Cream sherry. And actually, it can be lovely stuff, but because it was so popular in the 50s, there is a whole generation of Americans who think of cream sherry as being really cheap, crummy wine. Too bad. But the most popular wine in America in 1950, cream sherry, which may explain the baby boom right there. Entirely right? possible. You yeah, you know, drinking cream sherry. What else do you? Can yeah, do? that'll make you happy. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, my lord, that's that's. Uh, so well, what do you got? Well, I am. Uh, I'm going back to uh, another century to the 50s. Okay. This is 1859. 1859. And we're in California. Okay, yes. The industry was large enough that uh, California state legislature, in its wisdom, uh, took notice. Uh Uh-huh. And actually, unlike what we would expect, they did something that's not—it kind of made sense, which is that they exempted new vine plantings, new vines, from taxation until they were four years old. Well, that's a good plan. Yeah, and so what— And why would they pick four years? Because that's when they first start producing wine, winable grapes. That's exactly And this is actually always something—it's always a little surprise. So you think about you— Let's say you want to start a vineyard and a winery. Well, good luck. Just send us your money. Yes. We'll just take your money. We'll dig It'll the hole so and throw quicker. it in. Yes. <laughs> the, uh, the, so one of the many, many difficulties of starting, a, at least if you're your own vineyard and winery, yes. is that you, you have four years before you can even start making wine on the property, on the vines that you planted. And frankly, four years is not them at their best. No, and four years of... Paying to keep those right. vines you're healthy. Far, you're and farming you're them. Still farming you're still them. picking because there's stuff. stuff on them. But here's something that's interesting, Rick. Because that, that bill was passed by the California State Legislature in 1859, yeah. right? Yeah. 
So Not long when, after we became a state? When was the first winery in Napa Valley founded? I happen to know this because I did some work for him a few years ago. Winery was Charles Krug. No, it's uh, I. I'm well, gonna I'm gonna come yeah, back. There's it's a guy the, with Patchett, but yeah, but right, Patchett, but, yeah, but yeah, yeah, Patchett, yeah, Krug. They're related. Yeah, Charles Krug was founded in 1861. First real commercial winery in the Napa Valley. This law was passed in 1859. So there was enough grape growing in California outside of Napa to get a law passed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, though, and then where were they growing? Eldorado County, L.A. County. Those are the one and two. And and add to those. Oh, oh wait a minute. Uh, what's yeah, the third one? Uh, Santa Clara San- and Livermore. Right, right, right. Santa Clara, Livermore. Right, 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 right. And those were actually the big wine regions. Interesting. Mm-hmm. The first European grapevines were planted in 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 L. A. Under what is now Union Station, the big train station. Yes, in LA. Los Angeles was well. Wine country was Los Angeles. Was LA? That was yeah, yeah. That was and the, the man number who one. planted the yeah. first grapes had a wonderful name, Jean Louis Vigne. Which in French means Joe Louis Vines. That's a good name. It's a yeah. great name for a guy who's going to plant grapes. Isn't yeah, it? and if you think about it, it, it kind of makes sense about if you think about how California grew. For example, the foothills. The reason why El Dorado County in particular, because that's gold country. That's where right. gold was discovered. Yes, was all of the immigrants that came over. They brought. They're either either they're working the mines or if they're smart, they're doing something to sell to the well, miners. Well, they worked in the mine for six weeks and they said, right. "Okay, there's got to be an easier way to but, make a living than so, this." But these were, you know, it was it was it was the immigrants to the U.S. Yep. who came out because they're looking for for something, and yep. and so those are folks that they were the wine drinkers and they brought the vines that they brought. It's also why Zinfandel it was. Uh, so widely planted early on in the El Dorado uh, foothills and the foothills in general is because a lot of those immigrants were Italian, uh-huh. and that was one of the grapes that that they drank or some version of that grape. Mm-hmm. And so they were mm-hmm. so some of the ancient vines that are still up there yep. are because of that. And yep. in in the, the Livermore and Santa Clara region, this is the bottom of the Bay Area. So this was cool, but they knew that you know. The folks that were settling there, these were that were like their home regions that right. had come from. Of course, in Livermore, it was Germans. Wenty, right? It was Germans, right. and mm. they but they had some access to transportation or and farm country, so in, they were near nearer the bay than Napa. Right. Napa was not didn't become a big wine region until the, after Prohibition. Yeah. yeah, and so you know it's. One of the things that we love about wine, and we are now doing our history segment, so that's this is why it's a fun part of it, is that things are constantly you, changing. Well, you also you you know knowing something about where the wines come from teaches us a little bit about who we were. Yeah. Jeez, I sound serious. You do. What is wrong you with do. me? You do. Who were you anyway? I was. Well, I was. Uh, I was young. I was. Uh, never mind. Um, <laughs> all right. You know. But speaking of the age of vines, it actually brings up a question that we okay, got. Okay. Good. And, and are we so opening up the mailbag? We are opening up the mailbag. So we are. Uh, <laughs> okay. Bottle talk with Rick and Paul. We're going right to the mailbag now because we've got some questions. Good. Uh, this is from Cyril Cronin in Ukiah. Speaking of areas that have strong Italian populations and long history yeah, of growing grapes. Yeah. Yep. And uh, he asks a question that we've been asked before, and I think it's a good question to answer again, especially how he asks it, which is, yeah. could you explain what old vines mean? I used to just see old vines in, but now I see all kinds of old vine wines, including Chardonnay. Yeah. And I'm seeing some pretty wild other things like old vine. I love this list, by the way. Yes. And I've seen a couple of these. Old vine olive oil. <laughs> Old Vine Cider, and I've seen both of those. Excellent. And this is one I've never seen. 
old vine vinegar, which Cyril says cannot make any sense, but I saw it at a fruit stand. Well, actually, the old vine vinegar could make sense. It could be— Because what it came—the vinegar came It could came be from. wine made from old grapevines. But, of course, sure. cider comes from trees. You got old vine cider? Right. Let me tell you, something ain't right. And same with olive oil. And old vine olive oil. Yes. yes. I'm excuse, excuse me, but olives— Are trees. Actually, they do grow on trees. They are. Money yeah. does not grow yeah. on trees. Olives. olives grow on trees. And apparently a bad marketing slogans also grow Old on trees. Fine olive oil. I know. I've way, seen one of those. I saw that at a stand. And is it that was, right? Yeah, it was, you know, and it was in wine country. It was. Did where, you ask? I, I, oh, come on. I you you should have just. No. Excuse me. They looked. The, Pardon the, me. The people. It was like, you know, one of those little stands on the side of the road and they got the signs up and they, yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. they looked so nice. Oh, you were a And coward. earnest. I didn't have yeah. that. Because I, you know, I do some work over there with some people over in Sassoon who are making fabulous olive oil. And by the way, they're the number one question they get asked in their tasting room. Is, is it an old vine? No. They get asked whether they grow green olives or black olives. Oh, And, of course, there is no difference. Right. The green olives, in time, turn Become black. black. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not it's, like red wine yeah. and, and not like red grapes and white grapes. Or, or yellow raspberries. <laughs> or minerality. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. Once again, we are now reaching, we are reaching back to our own personal jokes here. Uh, my yes, apologies to everyone. But, um, and, and the really good part of this is we have not even touched the question that started this conversation. <laughs> yes, yeah. All right. So, Cyril, well, well very quickly, and we, one of the reasons why we're giggling at this is because, and you know, actually, Old Vine Chardonnay is pretty darn rare, although I have seen that as well. Yeah. So there's no there's no definition for no what definition Old Vine for is, old as clearly you've seen with Old Vine olive right. oil and Old Vine <laughs> cider. Um, but so the thought behind it is because these vines don't produce a lot of fruit, the fruit they produce is smaller, more, more concentrated, right. more intense flavors. Right. Some people would argue that there's a there's a flavor that runs through old vine zins. I'm not sure that I agree with it. But but can it, I get really geeky and technical for a second? Can I stop you? Um, you could if you really wanted. I have to leap over the table. You'd and have to. It jump would be a mess. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you go right so ahead. So you know that most grapevines throughout the world are planted on a rootstock that is resistant to disease, right? The phylloxera of Laos, and then the 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 wood is grafted onto the top, so that a Chardonnay. You could graft a Cabernet, you could graft a Merlot, you could graft a Zinfandel. I knew that, but you need to explain this because I think a lot of people don't, which is that it's not the it's not the root, it's the graft that decides that the, the grape. fruit. Right. Right. So you have rootstocks that are resistant going down into the ground, like walnut trees, and then you got the fruit coming out the top. The reason that you don't see so many old vine Chardonnays, old vine Cabernets, old vine Merlots is because the traditional utes, easy for you to say, rootstocks that we use tend to grow at a slightly different rate of speed from most of the wood that is grafted onto the top. And after 25, 30, 35, 45 years, that graft gets to the point where the rootstock is not the same shape as the rest of the vine, and the vine begins to have problems, and it's actually more cost-efficient to rip the vines out and replant. Zinfandel, curiously enough, tends to grow at almost exactly the same speed as some of the classic old rootstocks that were used to fight phylloxera. So the rootstock and the budwood on top grow at the same rate of speed, which is why we have so many more ancient Zinfandel vineyards in California than we have, say, ancient Cabernet 
or Carignan or some of the other varieties. Well, and another piece of that sort of is the is the sociology of it, which is that we have these old vines because that's where folks were and that's where they were planting. Sure. And so there's there's some of that going too. And and a lot of the the younger vines, besides this problem that that you. Um, that you mentioned, you know, Cabernet and, and Chardonnay are both pretty young in Relatively California. Relatively newcomers to yeah, California. So there's, there's yeah, so there's a little of that going on, too. <clears throat> yeah. so, um, that's why so, I mentioned Carignan. Yes, uh, right, right, right. Because that's uh, an old one. Uh, so that's what uh, that's what old vine means a little bit, Cyril. Um, but yeah, really, it means nothing. Yeah, and, and it, needs, it means nothing to wine but, because there's no real definition. But I think it would be hard, you would be hard-pressed to find any old vine wine that was not handcrafted. That's true. Right. I'm I myself am I'm going for the old vine milk. <laughs> okay. We have another one. This comes from Ed Cole in Nichols. Uh-huh. High alcohol and high acid both have a bite, Ed says. How do you tell the difference? Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, there's one really painful way of determining what the difference is. Take a bite of something really spicy. Layer layer a nacho bite with four extra splashes of Tabasco sauce. Put it in your mouth. Then drink a wine that has high acid. Call us from the hospital, by the way, Ed. <laughs> Take a drink of wine from high, that's high acid, and you will survive the experience. <laughs> Take a drink of wine from a 15.5% alcohol wine, and your mouth will feel as if um, it is bathed in napalm. Okay, Ed, don't take advice from Paul. <laughs> He's not being kind. Um, well, here's a here's one way actually is that you can smell the high alcohol. Yeah, a little bit. You, you know, can. you think about um, you think about uh, you know putting your nose in a brandy glass or that tequila shot. If you if you stick your nose in a little shot glass, you know, and you can sort of smell that hotness. Yeah, Th- that hotness will come out in the alcohol. Yep. The other part of it is it also does affect your tongue a little differently. I mean, we've talked before about what where you you sort. Right. The high acid sort of gives you a juiciness. Yes, and, and makes it, your mouth water. Uh, and the, right, and the sides of your tongue, sides the back. Yes, yeah, sides and back. Um, alcohol when you when you have a wine that has alcohol, the finish after you've swallowed the wine, your mouth will actually feel hot. It will actually feel as if it's warm. Yeah, you know, and if you swallow the wine, sort of blow out, you'll actually right. get a sense of that that hotness as well. And too. if it's really high alcohol, hold a match. No, that won't work. Yes, but you know, if you if you would like to just take the the seven hottest things you could possibly eat, and then take a sip of of one of these wines, I say go for it, Ed. But I'm I'm blame Paul when <laughs> when you get out of the hospital. <laughs> okay, this next question comes from. Lily Enright in Sacramento. And uh-huh, this is uh-huh. another case of uh, somebody asking this to me because I was telling her about the show. Excellent. I said, uh, Excellent. listen, give a listen. I said, subscribe to our podcast, which you can do, by the way, on iTunes. Yes. Or you can find us at com. I was telling her these very things. Uh, and she was saying, uh, okay, do I have to listen now or can I actually just ask a question and, <laughs> and get you off my front lawn? <laughs> and right. I, and she, actually what she said was— And this was six months ago and you told her— Okay, tell us the question and listen, because we're sure to answer it on one of our shows coming up soon. Yes. So now we've got a listener for six months. Yes, exactly. That was right. good thinking. I was, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not going to tell her when we answer it. <laughs> it's coming up. The show is coming. She said, "Do I have to smell the cork at the restaurant?" Never. 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 Exactly right. Right. No, we're done here. Okay. Well, there you go. No, the uh, first off, first off, um, it's not even why they give it to you. But but there's nothing that you're going to get from the cork that you won't get from the wine. That's right. 
Right. So that's, that's really, right. really a fundamental thing. That's right. They, there's a reason that a good sommelier puts the cork on the table is because that's where it belongs, and it should stay there. Just leave it on the table. The tradition, however, developed uh, a while ago. I'll call it back in the old days. When they started putting corks in bottles, we're talking to around the 1700s, and and, um, and this was when many, and think back in Europe when all the pubs have these giant casks of some version of house wine, and they also would have occasional bottles of better wine, and they would uh, finish sell a patron a better wine, and then uh, refill it with the cheap stuff and and give it back to the patron, uh, the next patron, and uh, and charge them the higher price. And once the wineries, in this case probably the chateaus, um, were getting wind of this, that's when they started printing their names on the corks. So right. the idea was to show you the cork, to show you that because you can't you can't reuse that cork because it had a, a corkscrew in it or something in it to get it out. Right. And so the only way you would get that cork was from the winery. And there you know there's some it's not worth it to fake the corks. Although nowadays it's a whole different thing. But the idea is, so the, so the reason why they present you with the cork is, as Paul said, one, it belongs on the table because he's not going to put it in his pocket. And second, because the, it's part of that presentation. For the same reason that they right. show you the bottle of wine. Yeah. And, you know, and by the way, when they show you the bottle of wine as a restaurant person, as a person in a restaurant, here's what you do. Look at the vintage. Because sometimes they- Actually, I will tell you- Sometimes they may switch the vintage on you. They may switch the vintage Maybe or, by mistake. Or Maybe in mistake. my case, once they switched Chardonnay from Merlot, oh, and that's my cool. wife said, excuse me, didn't you order a white wine? That's and I funny. said, oh, yeah, because I was only looking at the label and the vintage, and I wasn't looking at the varietal. So you're supposed to look at everything. <laughs> you yeah, missed it. That's, I completely missed that it. That is hilarious. Didn't you order a white wine, she said? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's good. Well- <laughs> Yeah, so that's it. And uh, or but, but it is part of that ancient ritual of table service and really just leave it leave it on the table. It'll be fine. Well, if you really want to do something with that's fun with a cork, pick the cork up and hold it almost exactly a cork length and a cork diameter, add those two dimensions together above the table on a horizontal basis and drop it. And if you're lucky, it'll stand itself on its end. Oh, see, I thought you tried to bounce it into your dining partner's glass. No, that no, that comes later. <laughs> okay. That comes after the third bottle. Well, all right, so I shouldn't have done that. No, no. Me, darn it. No wonder why I'm getting in trouble. Okay, we have one more. Okay. It is from uh, Edward Lucero in Livermore, speaking mm, of Livermore. Speaking of ancient wine regions. I was trying to explain French wines to my wife. Oh, this is going to be hard already. I like a Burgundy's Pinot Noir. She asked, why don't European wines put the grapes on the label? Yep. Actually, she was a little less diplomatic. She said, are the French such arrogant snits they don't bother to tell us what's in the bottle? I think it's a little more complicated, but I'm kind of with her. Well, it's a little, oh boy, oh boy. This is a, you know we're gonna have Get to come President back and Hollande do this one on the phone. We have something yes. to talk to him about. Yeah, we we're gonna have to do this one another time. But but briefly enough, in your in in places like France, the regions themselves are sort of the brand name, not the grape. And well, and in some regions, the wines are a blend of grapes. Right. Well, they often and, the case. And so they call the name of the region because it's it's actually based on Latin law rather than English trademark law. And Latin law says it's the land that owns the product, not the person. And so you have this long tradition. And while he is correct that a red wine from Burgundy is going to be Pinot Noir, that's one of the very few places one, in absolutely. Europe where that it is just one grape. Even, I mean, just about every other region, if you said Chateauneuf de Pop, if you said Bordeaux, Chianti Classico, Rioja, um, all of those wines are actually blended wines that capture the sense of a certain place. And that's why they're called by the name of the place rather than any single grape because they aren't any single grape. Yeah, and it's... Uh, it's it, and they've been at it for 2,000 years, and 
we've been at it for 100 years or since Prohibition, 80 years. So you kind of got to let them do it. Yeah. And they've also the other thing that they've done is uh, that in in those places that that they've been at it for so long that they've sort of decided the grapes that go best. This is what does well. Right. And and, you know, so these I'm going back to the brand thing a little bit. You look at a place like Chianti Classico where I was not so long ago. And, you know, they have for years been deciding the grapes that do well, their primary grape is Sangiovese. And uh, and one of the things that they know is that this is a grape that goes well. So if you're going to put our brand on your wine, you better use you, you better grape. use the grapes that go well to keep our brand name up. Right. And so that's a big part of it is that it what it does make it does it is one of the things that makes uh, wine world kind of complicated and in some ways intimidating because yep. you sort of feel like oh do I need to know that? But the thing is you don't know need to know all the grapes that go into every bottle uh, every bottle or Chateau de Bois Lord right. help you because there's right. so many. So just know if you like wines from those regions. That's right. that's actually probably one way to do it. Yep. Um, and and you know there is not just one red grape from from our friends in Burgundy, that's as right. you know, because yep. it could be the Gamay, yep. our little Absolutely. friend Gamay. As in yeah. as in whites, you can also have a Ligote. Right. 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 So yep. it's uh, but um, but the other part of it is sort of true, and that is that they're snits. <laughs> no. No, no, they're, they're not. not. They're, they're some not of my snits. best friends, they and are some they very just, nice they just have a different way of doing things. They, yeah, and they've, they've been doing it first. So. And they think it's crazy that we have places like Napa Valley and Sonoma where we have wineries that make 12 or 15 or 18 different kinds of wines instead of just doing one wine they do well. And in, in many cases, trying to stay in business makes it kind of crazy, too. All right, well, don't take business advice from us, whatever it is, but you can <laughs> take some wine advice. And so that's it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our engineer is Matt Bassini. And thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use, as always. If you'd like to ask us a question that we will try to give an answer to, go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. Look for our podcast on iTunes. You can subscribe for free. We would sure appreciate it. And if you learned anything today, we hope is that wine goes with any party, even when they have buffalo wings. Oy. Okay. Beer's not bad either. Beer's not bad either. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially us. Especially us.